As you make plans this season, consider convenient COVID-19 testing from Quest. Get the same test hospitals use without a doctor visit. Simply order online, select from drive through or at-home options, and get the results sent securely to your phone or computer. It's a great fit for your busy life. With over 20 million COVID-19 tests processed, you can count on Quest. So order your test today at questcovid19.com. That's questcovid19.com. Blog Talk Radio. Of uh, weeks back now because of some B 
visa issues from his opponent. But I think that's an underrated fight. Another fight I'm looking forward to, and this one is actually on ESPN straight up, Navarrete and Villa. Um, I think that's a really good fight. I I haven't been able to see the odds just yet for the fight. I'm patiently awaiting those odds. But we'll we'll check here later in the show in the in the preview and prediction uh, segment. That's for sure. Um, that's going to be a good style matchup that Navarrete and Via. So we'll talk a little bit about that. We'll talk about um, Charles Conwell as well. Uh, Showbox, not Friday. Special Wednesday edition. That's right. I said it. No, I'm kidding. Um, so that's a little different. You know, that is a little bit of difference uh, there. So. Um, I know right now that the, uh, well, it's probably over by now, the Lomachenko um, press conference uh, media stuff. Also, I think the Gervonta Santa Cruz uh, media stuff is going on here soon. Um, And we have some news on that. There's actually good news for those boxing fans that want to attend a fight Javante uh, Davis and Leo Santa Cruz. The tickets are on sale now. We'll talk about that. That fight got moved uh, for two good reasons. I thought it's it's really it was a good call just in general. Um, so there there will be some news as well. Of course, some current fight news in our boxing Twitter segment. Um, but you know, we'll talk a little bit about some other stuff. I did watch the Loma Lopez uh, hype show, which I thought was well done. It's really nice to see ESPN, you know, not just the, the week of the fight promoting a fight, but I've already seen a commercial, um, and now I've seen some uh, shoulder programming, too, and we're not even in fight. We are, uh, you know, a little ways away from it. So I, I really like that. Canelo refiles a lawsuit. We'll talk about that. Wilder Fury 3 on the move for good reason. December 19th um, It's not necessarily the – the, the time frame now that the college football stuff has all been figured out, um, at least knock on wood, we'll see. Hopefully they get through the season. But um, the December 19th date is not a good date. NCAA stuff, conference finals, and the NFL, a lot of different stuff. So they're on the move a little bit. We'll get into that. Um, and there'll be a variety of other you know news items that we'll get into. But we're going to start with some recap, no doubt about it. That Zapata branching fight was just phenomenal. By the way, though, if this is your first time listening to the Rope Dope Radio podcast, welcome. It streams live right here on blogtalkradio.com forward slash Rope Dope Radio. It streams live at Archives. It's basically the headquarters. It's boxing heavy, but we do, you know, do a football and uh, basketball shows throughout the year. The number to dial is 646-381-4990. But you don't have to go right to Blog Talk on Rope Dope and and download the show there or listen to the browser. You can find the Rope Dope radio podcast um, platform on Apple Podcasts. You can find it on iHeartRadio. Player FM is another place where we got a lot of listens. Tune in, Stitcher, really all across the board. Also part of the Grueling True Sports Podcast Network, which can be found everywhere, including Spotify. While you're at it, why don't you head on over to thegruelingtruth.com. It's boxing, it's football, it's basketball, it's baseball, it's everything in between. And one more thing before we get into this great fight in here. It's going to be tough to beat this fight in here. 
it, let's be honest. But I got something for you. It's called AT&T TV now. It's called live streaming cable. Maybe you cut the cord. Maybe you're thinking about cutting the cord. You're not quite sure. Check this out. It's, I do have a seven-day free trial for you. No annual contract. Once you sign up for AT&T TV now, the plan starts as low as $55 a month. You can stream it anywhere. They have the cloud DVR. And right now, just for signing up, you get a free 30-day trial of HBO Max. And here's another layer. If you sign up for the Max package, that already includes HBO Max, plus a free month of Showtime, which is normally $11. So Showtime boxing fans, just a heads up. That's AT&T TV now, live streaming cable. Okay, I'll tell you what, man. We had ourselves a phenomenal fight. It was hard to write down notes for this puppy. I mean, let's be honest. Somebody had the advantage. That dude was on the map. You know what I mean? It was uh, everyone kissing the canvas left and right, uh, so to speak. But just a phenomenal fight. And this uh, this is kind of the fight. It's 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 somewhat of a crossroads fight. Not quite crossroads for your career. Like, hey man, this is do or die. Um, but it's it's kind of like that. You know, Baranchik had a chance, you know, against Taylor for his first title shot. He lost, right? Then uh, Zapata, some people thought he beat um, Ramirez, you know, and, and, and he failed there. But when I say failed, that's really not the way you put it there. Um, I mean, he's, these guys still 20, well, now 20 and 2 for Baranchik, but 33 and 2, 26 knockouts for Jose and it's one of those, like I said, that mid-level fight that you not a lot of people know these guys. And that's why I said I hope they replay this because I really wish this was on ESPN, like after a college football game. That would have been phenomenal. But, hey, I'll take it. Um, I just think fights like this, you know, I, like I'm not going to call it a crossroads fight because I think that they're still in their career well in their prime, but it's definitely a mid-level fight that, the loser doesn't have to go home, but they don't. They go down a notch, and they kind of got to work their way back up. And uh, Zapata is in a great spot now, no doubt about it. Obviously, 140 is is going to get figured out. We assume by Taylor and Ramirez. We don't know if both of them will go up to 147. It's likely the winner will go up to 147. And even if, for some strange reason, um, <clears throat> that neither of them go up to 147 after that fight, whoever wins the fight, and I suppose we do have a draw there, <laughs> so there could be a rematch, right? Or it could just be such a great door rematch. My point is, more times than not, once you you know have it undisputed, the belts go free. So there is going to be opportunity out there, whether that's for Regis Progray, Zapata branch you can get back up but man this is why I like these type of fights and I, I really think I mean ESPN's had a nice run now uh, or you know, they're kind of in the middle of their run October's really great for them I think by far the best schedule they've had in a quarter since they started with ESPN top rank um, but you know Ramirez postal a very 
very competitive fight. Now, was it a great brawl? No, but it, it was damn good. Jay Pata branching, and now they got another one, Navarrete and Vila, Ruben Vila, Villa. So I'm really looking forward to this run. But, you know, we dogged – well, I shouldn't say dogged, and it's not even criticizing. ESPN just 2018 was – very up and down 2019 for just ESPN broadcast the 18 shows that they do um, it was poor it was mediocre to poor right it wasn't as bad as Showtime last year but it was bad considering most of their best stuff was on ESPN plus let's be honest um, and then they had what Con and Crawford on pay-per-view so but you know they started out okay this year I thought decently anyway not a ton of fights, but some good fights. And the, the bubble was hit or miss. I mean, some of it was bad. Some of it was really good. So it's just whatever, right? But we know we kind of give them a pass, especially for like June um, when it was so early for boxing anyway. But uh, they have gotten their act together to close. And let's hope this keeps going. Let's get into this fight, though. I gave Baranchik, well, obviously, um, the first round, <laughs> right? I mean, uh, he comes out, just bombs away, overhand right, several leaping left hooks. Uh, he scores a knockdown on a on a right hand, and then another knockdown on a right hand, I believe, in an exchange. That's something that this fight obviously featured a ton of, and that's the exchange. I mean, these dudes were going at it, to say the least. Um, but considering the nightmarish start, uh, in the first round, um, Zepada came back pretty well in the second round. Now, this one was crazy because you could do 10-9, you could do 9-8, obviously on a 10-point, mu- you know, we're not judges, so we don't actually have to score. We don't, if there's that must score a 10 in a round, um, the old way would do it would be a 9-8. I mean, this thing was nuts, though. Um, and combinations both of them landing combination. I think it was a left hook. I think it was a, was it a counter left hook or a left hook? Um, just straight up. I can't remember, but he scored a knockdown. Um, or wait, is that the one, is that the first one that should have been a knockdown and they didn't score it? Anyway, there was a counter left hand for the second knockdown. Um, yeah, I think that was it, actually. Counter left hand knockdown, then some more left and right. I mean, the combination uh, that he was throwing, both of them, but especially Zapata. Um, then it was a short left hand that knocked Zapata down. And like I said, it looked like he was kind of going in for the kill. So he, to me, it's like, okay, well, someone's got to win the round in that situation. Obviously, I'd say that's Zapata, so you give him a 10 9. Um, but I, like I said, a 9 8 could work out that way. The third round, Zapata 10-8. He landed a really hard left hand and then like a short hook that knocked him down. Branch came back with his own left hooks. Still a really competitive round. Um, I thought Zapata just landed, you know, more straight left down the stretch in the last part. And so he won the round. Then another 10-8 round in the fourth overhand uh, right Actually, Baranchik was landing overhand rights and some nice body shots. Zapata landed a left hook, some combinations, and then two left hooks. Um, 
at the 22nd mark, knocked him down 10-8. And he, like I said, you're trying to write this stuff down just to take notes for a podcast, but you're having to rewind it and just not, you know, just go back a little bit after the round's done. Like, screw it, dude. I'm not worried about writing shit down. I'm watching this fight, dude. Um, uh, Zapata in the fifth round landed some more left hooks. Barancha came back. Um, actually, was it a right hand that dropped him? I think it was a right hand. Uh, the kind of the ropes held him up. Baranchik, uh you know, still was hanging in there somehow. But then a left hook just lands right on the kisser. Perfect timing. Knocked him out. Just out, out. And then, so it went from this great fight Right, and it still remains that. But then all of a sudden, you're like, "Whoa, hold on, is Baranchik okay?" And right away, he actually kind of, uh, kind of seemed like he had enough. Um, like he was a, you know, he was awake in a sense, right? He had enough to like, kind of looking like he was about to try to get up. You know, a lot of times when you get knocked out like that, you try to get up. I remember when I was in wrestling, I tried to get up and just stumbled. And then the next time I tried to get up, my coach just pushed my chest down, like, dude, stay down, you know. And after that, it seemed like it, I don't know, it seemed like his, uh, the, the situation got a little timid, little not timid, but scary. It was like, now he's kind of moving slow. He's kind of not really re- – I'm not saying he's not responding, but, you know, the celebration, I think it's Zapata with the, you know, he's getting carried on his shoulders, which, you know, right away you're going to celebrate. But once you see a guy down, it's like, whoa, hold on. And they, you know, calm that down. And so there was some touch-and-go moments for Baranchik, and it sounds like he, you know, has a, a clean slate of health overall um, as far as the concussion his concern, hopefully he heals up and uh, takes, you know, uh, an extended break here because this one was pretty scary. Like I said, right away, it looked like he was just hurt, you know, like, okay, he's out, he's hurt. But then there was moments where you're, you're seeing like the doctors talk to him and I don't know, he just seemed a little bit more. This episode is sponsored by Schwann's.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm. Good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwanns.com backslash yum for details. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. Out of it, it was kind of like it really hit him how bad he was hurt. Um, so hopefully, you know, we say it's a fresh, clean, you know, or, or a fresh bill, like a good, clean health bill, right? But we don't really know, no. It's not like they, uh, 
get, well, I'm not going to go further into that, but um, hopefully he heals up and, and he's okay. It sounds like he's doing okay, but um, ultimately that, that type of fight can take a lot out of you. You know what I mean? Um, but what a great, great fight. You can't, you know, downgrade either of these guys after this fight, but Jose had a great, great win. And, you know, he beat Pedraza. Some people thought he beat Ramirez. I would have been okay with the draw. I did think Ramirez stuck it out. But, man, uh, Zapata is for real, and uh, it produced the fight of the year. And, and I just don't – like I said, I, I'm not trying to jinx anything, <laughs> right? But I just – I don't see anybody touching this thing, dude. <laughs> I really don't. I mean, this is – there's just so much going on in the fight that it, it's really hard to uh, to beat. You know what I mean? It just really is. It, it's it's going to be really hard to beat. Um, but anyway, what a great, great um, fight. I mean, that, that was phenomenal, no doubt about it. Um, and we'll talk a little bit, you know, where do they go? Like I said, I kind of already explained some of that. Um, so, you know, it's kind of up to what happens here. Um, we know there's a mandatory uh, due for Ramirez. Maybe he's in the mix for some of this. Maybe they make an interim belt somewhere in here and they allow, you know, the uh, undisputed to take place with Taylor and Ramirez. But he's in a good spot. Um, he's been on TV, Zepata, you know, for a while now. And he, he's, he's made the most of it. I mean, these last three fights that he's been – in the, the main event like that, you know, it's Baranchik, um, Pedraza, and Ramirez. And that was, that's in less than, no, a little bit over a year. About a year's time, really, if you take the pandemic into it. So, um, wow, that was a great fight, dude. That was such a great fight. I mean, I was looking forward to it. I did win a little money on Zapata, but I'll tell you what, that money came the hard way. Um, it was just a slight um, underdog. But, um, you know, going into it, but I think I, what I say, plus I got it 160, I think. So, and I know it shrunk down a little bit too. Let's see if, okay, here we go. I got another one. Um, so I literally checked this morning and I had, well, when I say this morning, I'm talking about kind of last night, like three in the morning. Um, on ProBoxingOdds.com, it hadn't quite been up yet. It's a great site, by the way, because they do offer a variety of lines, not just their line or a line, but uh, numerous lines. Um, and now I'm seeing that Navarrete and Ruben Villa, um, minus 225 plus 175. Um, here's a hint. Jump on that 175. Uh Bookmaker has it plus 204. Um, Sport Bet has it plus 182. Otherwise, plus 162 for Bet 365. So, um, Five Dimes has it minus 225 in Navarrete and Via uh, plus 175. Just saying. Okay, I'm just saying. So, anyway. Definitely looking forward to that fight. We'll get into that in a short little bit. The 
undercard real quick. Uh, eBay was taking on Guido uh, Vianelli. Vianello? I think it's Vianello. Um, you know, this was a pretty sloppy fight. Um, it had its entertaining moments. Um, eBay really was landing that his counter rights. I think that was kind of the key. Uh, right hands, both hands, really. There was a cut on the eyelid, I think, in the second or third round on Guido. Um, so that didn't really help things for him. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I don't know. There was times where both of them were missing, you know, kind of sloppy, not kind of full on. Um, Guido, once in a while, would land his wild right hands. I think he hurt him with one of them. And some left hooks. Um, I gave him the sixth and the fourth, so I had it four to two eBay. eBay was the busier one, too. The scorecards had it 59-55 and a draw 57-57. And I had it four to two, so three to three is pretty close, but I didn't think that it was a draw. I mean, a six-round fight, it is hard to, you know, like windows clear sometimes. If you don't do it, like the guy only, the guy or only wins one round or something like that. But I thought eBay did enough. Um, it was a whatever sloppy kind of heavyweight fight. It had some entertainment value, just not a ton of it. Um, kind of, you know, eBay's been um, kind of a staple on top rank of late because, you know, in the summer series and stuff, he fought one two times for them. So, um, you know, good win for him. We'll, we'll just kind of keep up. With his career, Gabriel Flores Jr. Um, took on um, a, a guy who, um, God, what the hell is the dude's name? It's like Zeski, Kelzeski, or something like that. Um, you know, he won um, cleanly. It was a tad overwhelming. Um, he had his nice jab going kind of boxing nicely on the outside. Uh, his left hook to the body and uh, some some pretty nice uppercuts, I'd have to say, counter left hands as well. Um, maybe like near the end he lost some rounds, I, w- I would say, but there wasn't many rounds he lost. I'm looking at my scorecard right now. A little underwhelming, though. Like I said, jabs, mostly just flashing some movement and jabs. Landed some good shots, but nothing to – actually, I'll say this. Flores did – what round was that? He got hurt by a left hook that landed really, really hard. So that's basically what was like the excitement in the fight. It was like, whoa, what happened there? But, you know, not much after that. Uh, 127 to 73 as far as uh, outlanding him. I'll throw him 476 um, to 325. He landed 29%. 50 to 20 on the uh, body shots, too. So that was impressive. But I thought he still got tested. The duty fought was kind of, uh, at times he was an aggressor. At times he was kind of, Using some angles, but um, I thought it gave Great Girl Flores Jr. a good test. He got, like I said, he got hit really, really hard and hurt, but he, he bounced back. Um, so overall, I thought it was a good test. But did he look bad? No, that's not what I'm saying. But 
it was a tad underwhelming, but I kind of felt like, okay, well, this guy's a good test for you. And, hey, you know, so what you got? You know, hit clean. I thought his movement and his jabs, I thought he looked pretty good. Didn't look phenomenal, but we'll, uh, you know, we'll see where he goes from here. Um, but it was a good, good fight, though, as far as testing him and whatnot. Um, so that about wraps it up for uh, for that card. Um, I did watch that Joseph uh, Buatzi against Kalik. Uh, I think it was his name. Um, he actually got hurt, too, Buatzi. Um, he got hurt, I think it was, was later. God, what round was that? But he had a swollen eye. Not sure if he really had a cut, but it was a nice overhand right that landed just flush. Uh, Buatzi ended up doing just enough. Um, I think it was the seventh round uh, TKO. Um, the right hands were just a little too much. He kind of mixed in the left hook too, but it was mostly overhand rights. That's also, like I said, what what hurt him. Um, he's thirteen and zero now, eleven KOs. He looked just okay. I'm not gonna lie. He didn't, he didn't really look that good. Um, so I saw some of that fight, or most I saw that fight, I should say. There is another fight that I wasn't able to w- watch, but someone actually sent it to me just a little bit ago too, telling me that I have to see the fight. Um, so I'm gonna have to check that out um, a little later. Um, let's see. Oh, we did have Paul um, Kroll, who's an unbeaten prospect against Luke. Santa Maria, who we just saw not long ago. Um, by the way, the Barentes, I think it's Barente twins, uh, Chavez and Angel, on the other card, they won by decision. Um, but Kroll was in a good test, too. Um, he was kind of working the head and the body. Was Had a pretty good jab, I'd say. He kind of followed it up with uh, a few right hands, Santa Maria, won the second and the third for me, his left hand, especially to the body, um, and the left uppercut uh, was definitely, I, I don't know if Kroll was hurt or at least bothered by a body shot in that second round. Uh, both guys were using their jab pretty well. It was a pretty close round in the third round. Um, Kroll did land some short right counters. I don't know if it was good enough to you know, win that round, but I actually had Santa Maria up. Two to one, Kroll gave him the fourth. Uh, he started kind of getting in and out with some quick combos, still attacking the head and body. There were some good exchanges too. Santa Maria had some really nice straight left hands. He just didn't really maybe do enough in that round. And Kroll had a really uh, nice uppercut late in the round that probably stole that round. It was a very close round though, but Santa Maria came right back. The busier in round in a, in a close round five, and Kroll won the sixth. So after six rounds, it's three to three. I thought he was busier, few better lands. Um, both of them were in the southpaw stance now, in spots, not the whole time. But I remember them saying that and seeing that too. Um, I think Kroll won the sixth round based off of a left hook with about forty or thirty seconds left. I gave Kroll the – oh, no, I looked at the wrong round here. Santa Maria, I gave him the seventh. Um, he just closed the round out better for me. Um, the cleaner lands by Kroll. Uh, 
was in the eighth round, um, a counter right and some uppercuts. You started to see Santa Maria once in a while miss, and that's what was kind of key when he'd lose rounds was just him missing too much, you know, kind of going for a too big of a punch. The ninth round could have went either way. Uh, I gave the tenth to Kroll. Um, the right hands and late counter shots as well, just a few of them, but enough, you know what I mean? Um, so after eight, I had it 4-4 four, four, or 5-3 Santa Maria, and I think that uh, well, I had it either 5-5 five, five or 5-4-1 five, Kroll. 6-4 uh, could be there, too. 96-94 um, was a scorecard that I was good with. Um, the 99-91 scorecards, though, were just not even on the planet. You know, it doesn't matter who you thought would win or not would win, but did win. Like I said, 6-4. Five five either guy six four five four one if you do a, a tie round in there I'm cool with I thought Kroll maybe if I had to pick a winner it would be Paul Kroll but, but not by much not by much at all and um, he um, he they both didn't land like a high accuracy at all I think they were both under twenty percent eighty one shots in sixty five so it was one of those fights where and that's over 10 rounds. That's really not that much, um, 435 to 401. And, and if you look at the the amount of punches thrown, 435, 401, that's actually pretty good in a 10-round fight. But they just didn't land a whole lot. It was one of those fights that when someone did land, you could, you know, it was clean. It was hard, and it usually would steal a round. Um, if you added a few more in that round, but yeah, the 99, 91, um, it's just, it's just really bad. You know, the whole thing of, well, the right guy won. Yeah. Okay. But 99, 91, especially two, you know, we're, we're used to seeing one card kind of out on its own or a little separated from the pack where you're like, okay, that person just saw, you know, they're in three different angles, the judges. So I'm willing to, you know, you can look at it on TV. You can watch a fight. And when I mean, look at it, I mean, you know, watch it on TV and score it, watch it in the crowd and score it and watch it ringside from different angles. And sometimes you don't see a lamb that actually lands or you think it landed, but it actually didn't because your angle didn't allow you to see it. So to have different scorecards, of course, right? That's not a big deal. But the 99-91 and then two of them in that close a fight, I just, uh, I don't know. You know what I mean? I really don't know. That was, that was bad. I didn't, like I said, I didn't have a problem with the winner, but I did have a problem with the scorecards. In the main event, Mark uh, Masayo. I think it's Mike Sayo, um, the Filipino, against Rigoberto um, Hermosillo. Hermosillo. I think it's Hermosillo. Uh, this was a good fight. And uh, Mike Sayo, he got tested in this fight. This was fun. Um, I gave him the first round. It was a competitive round. I think it was a, a late right hand. It's probably the best shot of the round. Rigoberto came out working the body with his left hook, um, and he landed a really nice right hand somewhere in the mid part of the second round. I gave him 
the second, the third round back to uh, Maxayo. Um, a fun round, though. These guys really put on a nice little show. Um, I think the right hand and a few follow-up shots did it, but it was it was it was, uh, it was a close round. It was a very close round. Then the fight slowly but surely moved pretty much on the inside. And the work rate started taking over. Rigoberto, I gave him the fourth round based off that. The flashy combinations were kind of uh, mag sale. But to me, the dude doing the work in that one was uh, Hermosio. I really I really believe that. Um, then there was some separation in the fifth and sixth um, by uh, Muxayo. Um, he was just busier. Landed the better shot. The sixth round was a great round. Um, both guys really going at it. Rigoberto was just digging to the body. Um, straight rights and uppercuts were the best shots, though. But that's what I loved about this fight. Sure, I had it four and two after six, but Rigoberto, for me, won the seventh. You know, he closed stronger, um, whereas it seemed like it was kind of touch and go, in and out, quick lands that weren't doing much uh, for um, for Maxayo. Um, but then I gave him the next two rounds, I think. Yeah, I gave him the eighth and the ninth. He was kind of in the stick and move, kind of stick, uh, either stick and move or stick and just duck his head down, you know. Sometimes he's a little unorthodox. Sometimes it comes off smooth. Um, there was some really fun exchanges in the last minute of the eighth. Um, Whether you have your own bathroom or you share one with your family, a little extra help keeping the bathroom sink, counter, and mirror clean goes a long way. And Viva paper towels are for the long haul. They're two times more durable when wet compared to the leading value brand. And they clean like cloth, helping you keep the surfaces in your bathroom dry and fingerprint and toothpaste free. For an exceptional bathroom clean, there's Viva paper towels. Visit vivatowels.com to learn more. Let's make Vision Zero a reality in D.C. Almost half of D.C.'s traffic fatalities come from impaired driving. These deaths are 100% preventable. Don't let impaired driving ruin your holiday. Always have a plan for a sober ride. Never drive impaired. D.C. police are arresting drunk and drugged drivers. Drive sober or get pulled over. A message from the District Department of Transportation and Metropolitan Police Department. And Rigoberto got hurt early after several clean shots uh, that caught him in an exchange in the ninth round. Uh, but he did manage to close harder. I, I gave uh, Ramosio uh, some, you know, aggression points. Uh, he landed the flusher shots, and really uh, most of it was the left hand. So I had it six to four um, for Maxio, um, Maxio, Seal. Um, 96-94, one of them for Rigoberto, the other for um, Masio. But then we had this 190, what the fuck scorecard. I mean, like I said, the right guy won, but and this is what we're normally used to seeing, a fair scorecard for both of them. Both of them got a 96-94, both of them got a 6-4. But then you turn right around and have a hundred to ninety. Like what? What the hell kind of scorecard 
was bad. I just don't. I mean, when I say I don't get it, you know, I mean, come on. I mean, I get it, but it's just like, I don't know, man. It's really bad. I mean, this was not, you know, a 10-0 fight or or even close to it. It was a competitive fight. Like, sometimes these fights are are close and they come down to a, a couple of rounds and all that, and that's fine. But, um, I just, I mean, you know, boxing and scorecards, I know what happens in MMA as well sometimes where you're like, what just happened? Um, but I don't know. It's like we, we usually have one, like I mentioned, the other fight we had two, which is really random. But usually we have this one that's just sitting there, like it's, it's filled out before the fight starts. And the person's just sitting there like, you know, getting a, a, a pedicure underneath the table know, filing nails, getting some uh, some some paperwork done, like not even paying attention to the fight or something, you know. And um, I think it was Jake Donovan who said this the suspension worthy scorecard <laughs> in in his uh, in his article or maybe on his tweet, and it's so true. I mean. Because this is, you know, it's not the under the table, something that the FBI could track. It's not, hey, here's a a brown envelope or a brown bag with $100,000 in it. it. It's really not that. I'm not saying that wasn't the case at, at some point, but it's really not that with judges. It's about scoring the fight either for the house fighter or for the aggressive fighter. That's usually what it comes down to. I'm I'm just saying the majority of these cases. That's not to say that someone who boxed on the outside, um, you know, doesn't get a favorable scorecard uh, like Mayweather and Castillo, right? Uh, I mean, we've seen that too. But generally speaking, it's either, well, it's always going to be the house fighter most of the time, I should say. And a lot of times it is the come forward fighter. So this goes down in record. So now when you start to look around and go, you know, to judges you approve or not approve or however you get the judge, you know, help help out the commission, give them a nudge or whatever, you know, there's like house judges is what it comes down to. And, and they, everybody kind of gets wined and dined. I'm not saying at your local or, or small level or even mid-level fight that that happens left and right, you know, but... I'm not saying it happens every fight, but this is how you establish it, basically, so you get known as a house judge. And so, basically, you know, these judges get paid to do the job. They're they're a gig worker, right? They're not. It's not like they have them on salary. So the state, you know, the commission. So this is what happens. It it comes down to well, you'll get the next job. So that's how they. They get to do the job, which is money, which is hotel. Sometimes it's a stipend. Sometimes it's a little more. Um, so it's not like they're just picking one judge and, hey, let's wine and dine and put that person in the suite. It's the lifestyle that you get to live. And a lot of people do um, earn a full-time judge. They have a career, you know. But it's that weekend lifestyle you get to live for a good chunk of your life that that's what's tempting. And it you don't even have to 
communicate this to the judges because anybody that gets in the boxing knows what a hook, you know, house judge is and all that type of thing. So, and when I mean get in the boxing, you know, you start with the amateurs to, to be a judge. It's something I'm looking at as a retirement job um, to keep me active and make, you know, make a little money, but it's really not about the money. Um, I just think it'd be a dope thing, right? But um, it's really just about getting to go to Vegas, getting to go to New York, getting to go to L.A., getting to just do this on the weekend. And so it is a perk. It's more than just a nice perk, especially when you get on the high levels. But these type of scorecards, to me, not only scream like, you know, Jake said, suspension, but they scream these are future House judges is what it what it sounds like to me or seems like to me. It's not the old here, man. Here's a hundred thousand dollars. Don't put it in a bank. Keep it in under your mattress. You know that shit. Those days are done, dude. Um, but anyway, well, I shouldn't say done. I'm not saying that. It's just so easy for the FBI to do that. I think it really just comes down to the perk. And it's not like there's a lot of. I mean, the bigger the fight the less you have to pay sometimes the other card. You know what I mean? So it's it's not like they have just millions and millions of uh, extra dollars laying around when it comes to the budget for a lot of these things. So, um, you know, at one time, yeah. So anyway, um, and previously it was, you know, paper bag, right, whatever, that whole metaphor of it, here's a satchel of money, but it was also ran by the mom, it was also a betting thing, it was a, it was a variety of stuff, and sometimes they get right to the fighter to take the dive, they wouldn't even mess with the judge, so, um, but either way, um, I digress, it's just something, we all know something has to happen about it, I bring it up, I try not to sit there and just harp on that over and over, um, but you see 190 in a, in a tight ass fight, you know, it's, it's just like in those 99 to 91s. It's like, come on, dude. Like, it's fucking ridiculous, dude. <laughs> just ridiculous. Uh, by the way, the number two dial is 646 I see a handful of people in there. Portland, what's up? I'll get to you in just a short little bit here. 52 minutes left of the live stream. We probably won't go crazy deep, although there is a fight this weekend that I'm really looking forward to. Uh, like I mentioned, the, the Showtime card got pushed back to October 24th due to visa problems with uh, Sergey Lipinen's um, opponent. We'll, we'll kind of uh, get into some of that, but um, there is a Showtime card this weekend, um, which is always at least worth checking out to see. Uh, you know, sometimes I see a fighter that I've barely seen in a fight. Sometimes I've never seen the fighter. Sometimes, I've, you know, it's somebody we've seen on Showbox or other outlets for a couple of times. So I'm really looking forward to it just in general. But, yeah, tomorrow, special Wednesday night edition of Showbox, Charles Conwell versus uh, a Toussaint is, is the name. It's a 10-rounder uh, at the... Um, 154-pound division. A lot of people making noise about Charles Conwell as an up-and-coming prospect. Uh, Brandon Lee is on the other card. David Navarro, who's a young dude, uh, still in a four-rounder. So, you know, 
keep an eye out for that now on October 9th, of course, for the weekend schedule here. Um, from Las Vegas in the bubble at the Grand, uh, MGM Grand, ESPN, and ESPN Deporte. So this is not on the pluses on the ESPN straight up. Um, Emmanuel Navarrete versus Ruben Villa for a vacant WBO feather rate strap. Excuse me. Oh, man. <clears throat> Sorry. Um, it's the belt that uh, Shakur Stevens, well, of course, WBO with his top rank. So Shakur Stevenson, he, he left that there. Um, Joseph um, Adorno versus Avery Spiro is a 10-rounder. Elvis Rodriguez, who's been coming up as a prospect, he's taking on Cameron uh, Crail. An eight-pounder, or eight-rounder, eight-pounder. That'd be a small weight class. <laughs> uh, that's 140, eight-rounder. Uh, Lorenzo Truck Simpson is on the card as well. Something to look forward to there. So, yeah, we'll we'll, uh, we'll kind of see how that goes. But I am looking forward to Navarrete. And the, uh, I think that's going to be a good fight, good style matchup. Um, Telemundo has a card that night. Saul Sanchez and uh, Daniel Lozano. Is fighting junior featherweights, 10-rounder, uh, ten so that's Friday night, Telemundo. Um, ESPN Plus from Dubai has a card as well. Um, what else we got here? Um, Leon Williams and uh, uh, Andrew Robinson. Um, on, is it Sunday? Or no, it's Saturday. It's Saturday. Uh, Nathan Corman returns as well with Richard Larte. Oh, okay. Um, I know him. What else we got? David Lemieux returns Saturday as well from Quebec. Um, there's one in Germany, one in France, one in South Africa. It's safe to say that boxing is back. <laughs> I think that's more than safe to say. Um, kind of br- the one that really draws the interest for me um, clearly is Navarrete, Emmanuel Navarrete. Going up in weight, he had the big wins, um, you know, over uh, Dogbo. Um, so, you know, he looked, looked good doing that, that's for sure. Um, he's a guy that, you know, does show some movement on the outside. I'm not going to say that's his strength, though. Um, it is one of these fighters that have, you know, he's 31 and 1. 27 knockouts. He's got a 72-inch reach. And at 122 and now 126, that is crazy. He lost. His only fight was when, like, in his fifth fight or sixth fight, 4-0. So, I mean, that was 2012. That was a long, long time ago. Now, the problem with him is it's really been the dogma. You know, the other guys he's faced, there's just not much in there. Um, his last guy he faced as a stay busy was a guy 13, 13 and one. So I'm not ripping him. He's only, you know, he's only 25 years old. This is a really good test for him. Um, but yeah, it's really been Isaac Dogbo, those back to back, really fun fights. I actually watched the first one um, not long ago. And Dogbo had beaten Jesse Magdanello, had beaten uh, Cesar Juarez. Um, he's beaten an un, uh, unbeaten prospect, I remember, a, a chunk of years back. Chacon, too, Javier, 
Uh, Chacon, I know he beat. Um, I think that's about it. Um, but, you know, he kind of forced Dogbo into a game plan he doesn't like to do. And I think that his opponent is going to be a lot more comfortable. His opponent is Ruben Villa. Um, he's 18 and 0. Um, I'm not going to say he's been taught, you know, tested on the highest level as well, but as a prospect, 18 fights, he's actually fought some decent uh, opponents. Um, there is a big reach. I mean, 72 to 66 and a half. Now, 5'7 and 5'6 is not a big deal, but clearly the long arms favor Emmanuel Negrete. Um, but, you know, he's faced some a fair amount of unbeaten prospects, you know, on the way up on Showbox. I think he, he is ready for this. I do believe he's ready for this uh, this fight, though. I think the style kind of fits him nicely. Um, just looking at Navarrete, like I said, he can move. He's decent at it. But whether it's on offense or defense, um, or I should say aggressive or on the back foot, his defense is suspect. That's kind of the biggest takeaway. I do think that Navarrete should try to keep it in the middle of the ring, throw his jab and, and kind of inch forward rather than being so aggressive. The thing with the long arms, if you're not using your jab, if you're not sitting at least at the edge of the pocket using your jab or, you know, full-on moving on the outside, right, with your jab, then it, I'm not saying it doesn't matter. But the closer you get to somebody, and a lot of times exchanges come, that's why they come close. You know, they're they're close together. That's why I mentioned the edge of that pocket. So you're still within punching range, but you can keep that jab out there and you can keep your distance uh, even in exchanges. But when you get so close, and sometimes he gets a little close, uh, or not close, but he likes to fight on the inside and brawl, you know, those long arms are great, but unless it's a straight punch, like a jab or a straight, you know, right hand or whatever, it's like, okay, that's nice and everything. But a lot of times it's going to be wide shots. And so he's, at times he can put punches together and you you think, wow, this guy, you know, he's, he's got power. He's a good fighter, man. He is a good fighter. And he's entertaining himself. And the fights with Dogbo, Good fights, uh, you know, put the, the back-to-back performance in, which is always impressive. Um, but he does leave himself wide open when he punches. You know, he, he usually is aggressive. He has a good work rate. He loves to throw combinations. Um, like I said, responsibility on defense, not there. Not a whole lot on his resume. But like I mentioned, you know, beyond Dogbo. Um and he gets caught not only just wide open when he punches right, but he reaches with his shots. And the key one is something that I've, I've seen plenty of people talk about. It's pretty easy to see when you're watching him fight, but the uppercut, the guy throws the uppercut from the other room. Like he's on the outside of the ring. And he's like, here's my uppercut. Like I, I just think that someone with timing, someone that's a little slick that can use angles can beat him. And the only 
thing. So Ruben, Ruben Villa, you know, he's uh, he's he's kind of shifty. Um, he's got good balance, like a good solid stance. What I mean by like he's able to be shifty, he's able to use some angles, whether it's uh, on offense or defense. He's able to take a, a step to the side or a couple of steps backwards, but not straight backwards, right? Duck, duck, you know, evade, and then still be there to be able to land the shot. Um, so he can get inside kind of quick using angles. But like I said, he moves well on the outside as well. Um, so I, I like his balance. I like his shiftiness. I think he's got a good, solid jab. Um his upper body defense as well. Sometimes he can be really close to a guy, and, and that works into that amateur pedigree. I think it was like one third. Whether you have your own bathroom or you share one with your family, a little extra help keeping the bathroom sink, counter, and mirror clean goes a long way. And Viva paper towels are for the long haul. They're two times more durable when wet compared to the leading value brand. And they clean like cloth, helping you keep the surfaces in your bathroom dry and fingerprint and toothpaste free. For an exceptional bathroom clean, there's Viva Paper Towels. Visit vivatowels.com to learn more. Haverty's Furniture is here to help you get your home all set for the new year so you can set the stage with more style, set the bar more beautifully, and set a more show-stopping table. Let's set some time aside to settle in on a new sofa together because being at home shouldn't mean having to settle for less. And Haverty's Furniture can help you start the new year off right at their holiday savings event so you can create the perfect setting. And right now, everything's on sale store-wide. 35 and 7 or something like that. Um, I think I just heard that on a video not long ago. Um, the timing, though, and that's what I was talking about, is overall timing and southpaw stance as well. You know, I'm going to I'm gonna pick uh, Ruben Villa by decision. It's kind of, uh, you know, a minor upset a little bit more of an upset than it was, like I mentioned last week, just to kind of revisit right now. Five Dimes has it minus 225 for Navarrete. And for Ruben Villa, it has plus 175. The lowest I'm seeing is plus 162. But like I mentioned, I saw the plus 204, a plus 182 as well. So, um, Otherwise, that uh, Adorno and Sparrow is probably the, the other close fight uh, this week at 275, plus 275 for Sparrow. That, I shouldn't say that's close, close, but uh, as far as what they got on here, the rest of the fights are pretty much, um, you know, prospect-driven. We'll see how you look. 9-1, to 14-1 type underdogs. Um, but... You know, I gave you a little little hint last week with Jose Sabata winning as a buck. I think I got it at 160 or 165. Yeah, 160, I think. So I'm taking Via. Now, I'm not saying that he's going to clearly win. I think the one thing about um, Ruben is, and obviously it stands out, right? It's pretty easy to see his knockout power or lack thereof. He's 18-0. Like I said, of late, the last few years, um, he 
started stepping up the competition, really like, I shouldn't even say the last few years. Um, it's really been like the last year and change. Um, and I'm actually looking at it right now because um, I kind of forgot his knockout thing. So, yeah, he started January 11th, 2019 against an unbeaten prospect. And, uh, you know, he, like I said, he's not out there beating killers, but he's looked good doing what he's doing. Now, here's the key, five knockouts. So 18-0, five knockouts. That's not a whole lot of knockouts. So when you get to the, the world level, the, the higher level, you wonder if he's going to have enough pop to have Navarrete respect him the whole time. Um, and if he doesn't, he'll probably lose the fight off of work rate. But I just see Navarrete so loose with his punches, his chin sticking straight up in the his defense when he does try to move back. And that's the thing. Via can pressure you uh, with angles and great footwork. And so I just think he's going to – there's times where Dogbo was able to do some of it, and that guy's not a, a guy that's on the back foot at all, barely. He likes to come forward to and just bomb away. So um, I think it's a competitive fight. Um I could see about a seven to five, maybe eight to four, something like that. Um, I just see Ruben timing him and using his, what I feel like is a, a notch up in skills in uh, the southpaw stance. I just think we're going to see a blend of really good work. And, and he has that second game plan. And like I mentioned, especially in the early fights with Dogbo, I'm not saying that, you know, um, Navarrete doesn't have, like, a second game plan. I just don't think he's that good at it. And I think that was kind of proven, uh, not just in one fight, but especially in the Dogbo fight. He kind of switched it up and put Dogbo, you know, in in an uncomfortable situation that he wasn't going to be able to be his best. So it was a great adjustment. He ultimately had to do it. But when he's on the move, sometimes he'll turn almost sideways, right? So his, his shoulders are kind of right with each other sideways. And, and, and he'll just move his head a little bit or, or not even, you know, go all the way sideways on the rope. But sometimes he'll, like, just move his head barely. Like, he's just like, ah, oh, don't hit me. Like, it's just like, dude, you're just waiting for counters. And Dogbo, who's not a counter puncher, was able to catch him. Now, he won those fights, both of them clearly, so I'm not taking credit away from him, but I've just seen enough that I think Ruben's going to be able to do it. The only thing that's keeping me from, you know, eight to four clean, he's going to win this fight, hands down, is the amount of pop that Ruben has. And sometimes we see guys with, you know, not as much knockouts, uh, but they got put in there with good vets or, or you know, whatever. Um, sometimes it is hand injuries, whatever. But that's the only thing that's keeping me from being just overconfident. But I really believe that. I really believe that Ruben's going to win this fight, though. I think it went 7-5 to five or 8-4. to four. I think it's going to be a good competitive fight. I just think that via going forward, kind of in and out using angles, and also being able to be on the back foot, uh, being able to dodge 
you know, rapid punching, which is what you're going to have to do, but also be in range, like I talked about, the, that edge of that pocket, to just counter him with both hands. And I think, and like I said, that sharp, steady jab throughout the time, uh, throughout the whole fight, I just think Diaz going to pull the minor upset here. Um, but we'll see. I'm really looking forward to this fight. It's one of those fights that, you know, I hate to call it like a mid-level fight. I just think Navarrete was just starting to prove himself at 122, and now he's at a new weight class, and Dia hasn't stepped all the way up. So it's kind of like, you know, I think it's still a mid-level fight because whoever wins this fight now is in a great place to challenge the other featherweights. This is just, this is a big fight. This is a big fight for these two. It's a, it's a, uh, it's a nice fight for the weight class and whoever wins this fight, unless it's just a great fight competitive, maybe it's a draw, right? Who knows? But whoever wins this fight, well, they're going to win a title, make a title, but they're going to be, I'm looking forward to this fight, man. And it, like I said, it's on ESPN. Um, I can't remember. I, I want to say that it's a football game on Friday night that leads into it. I can't remember. I really hope that's the case because you know any kind of lead-ins, uh, you know, count me in. Any kind of lead-ins. Um, let's see. Um, let me just check. That would be dope to get a nice little push because neither of these guys, you know, are all that known. So Friday night, it is. Yes, it is. So it's Louisville and Georgia Tech. You know, not the greatest game, but like I said, Tigers can't be choosy. Um, hopefully it's a, you know, it's got a chance to be a competitive game. Louisville's only up by four and a half with their spread. So I shouldn't say up, but they're the favorite, but it's only four and a half. So, I say competitive game because that'll attract viewership as it goes on, right? Rather than a blowout. Um, and Louisville does isn't an actually exciting team to watch. So let's hope, let's hope that that's um, you know, let's hope that that's that that's the case. Um, that it's a close game and it, you know has well over a million people watching in boxing. Take some of those fans and jump with it. You know what I mean? That, that's what they need. It gives it that extra little boost. Even if you have an extra 200, 300,000 people out of a million, that's just another layer that is already going to be watching. You know, I, I know they didn't do a ton of fights on Friday night anymore, but. Um, well, what else, is, what else is that night? Oh, actually, the NBA's that night, too, isn't it? I think. That's the thing, dude. There's so many, there's so much distraction, and it is at eight o'clock too. The card's not gonna, stay. you know, that game might be over by the time. And some people will be tuning in to the post sports center too uh, after the game and kind of the post game. So maybe it's right in the main event, and they get a push from that. You know, that that's definitely happened. So anyway, um. 
definitely um, looking forward to this fight, though. Anywho, um, as I mentioned, that Showtime fight um, that got pushed back, uh, Lipinets and Abdu Kakarov, I think it is. Abdu Kakarov. Anyway, that that's a come forward fighter against the outside guy. It's, it's a style matchup is really good on that. I think that's a very underrated fight. But that did get moved, and it's only two weeks later. So that's dope too. That it's uh, actually going to be October twenty fourth on Showtime, and they're still going to. This is by Jake Donovan. This news, by the way, uh, to still salvage the other show, which, like he says in here, the supporting talent which is good news as the, uh, the two bouts were in limbo. We didn't really know how long this thing would go back, but when you have Malik Hawkins getting the real test um, against uh, Matisse, I think it is, um, that dude could knock people out. And also Xavier Martinez, 15-0, going against Claudio Pereira. That's, I think, the co-feature. That's a good fight. So October 24th, that gets moved, which makes sense because the um, the fight with um, Tank, right, Gervonta and Leo Santa Cruz, that fight got so. Um, and it got moved for a really good reason. Um, the Alamo Dome in San Antonio, Texas, is a big ass. I think used to hold even more people, but I do think that they calmed it down a little bit uh, when they did the remodel. So I, I think it's like 60,000, 66,000 or 68,000 or something like that. Um, I can't totally remember. It's something like that, but they're going to be able to hold some fans, you know, in the stands. So that's hold them. They're just going to hold them. I don't know why I said it like that, but, um, so that that's a good sign, you know. It'll be the first, um, you know, card that has, you know, that the crowd's there. So that's pretty dope. Um, it makes sense too. Um, you know, now you don't have to go against uh, Khabib or Habib and uh, the uh, the UFC, even though it's the daytime. Still, it's you know, you might as well. Sometimes it's. It's not just the direct pay-per-view stuff because just pushing it a week later, it's still going to be about 150 bucks regardless, right, within a week's time. So it's really just attention, too. That is going to get more attention, that fight that weekend. So um, why not move it? You know what I mean? Why not move it? I think it's a great, great look. And, uh, and the fact that – so it's October 31st on Halloween. And they're going to allow, you know, some fan participation. So you got to love it. Um, the tickets seem like they're doing pretty good. They have them obviously priced nicely. They're not going to go too crazy, right? And I'm assuming that it'll be a little bit more spread out. So that's why I think that they have to price these tickets correctly because, you know, otherwise, you know, if, you go, if you're, you just can't be as close. I wonder if it's general admission, to be honest with you, but it spots anyway. Um, I just think it's a really good call. So it's October 31st 
on uh, Showtime pay-per-view. So, I, you know, like I said, I, I'm really happy that they uh, they moved it. Why not? You know, can't can't hurt anything. <laughs> you know, I think it's a smart move. I really do. Um, so then that gives Showtime an open spot, hence them going with October 24th for their card. So um, that's good stuff. And like I said, those undercard fights are really interesting too. I like that card, that triple header. I think everybody's kind of uh, getting a good test in there. Um, so yeah, there is some uh, you know other fight news uh, that we'll talk about. Speaking of moving, um, there was already rumors before Tank and Santa Cruz moving to the Alamo Dome. It sounds like Errol Spence and Danny Garcia are going to be fighting Cowboy Stadium. There's no exact announcement or anything like that, but if you think about it, you know, the Cowboys have had, I think it's AT&T, Cowboy Stadium, whatever. But the Cowboys have, you know, been able to have crowds for their NFL games. So I know Kansas City, the Chiefs, they had like 17,000. The Texans had some some fans. I think it was like 20,000 when the Vikings played in this last weekend. Um, so yeah, it, uh, I'd assume, you know what I mean? I'd assume that that's what they're going to do. Why, why wouldn't you, you know, why wouldn't you try to get, you know, some of that, um, you know, some of that, some of that fan participation, right? I mean, why not? It only makes sense. Um, what else we got here? Uh, do, 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 do. We'll get into, well, there's two two Canelo items that we'll get to. Um, it's funny because on what I do the show last Tuesday, right? Um, and at the time, we didn't really know if Canelo was going to refile. There was some deadlines um, to put it in that same court, but clearly they were working with you know, the case was open. So uh, they had to tweak some things, but as it turns out, Canelo did refile that lawsuit against Oscar De La Hoya, Golden Boy Promotions, and DAZN. Um, So where there was some mediation, there was some uh, talking back and forth about a new deal, maybe, you know, a $20 million guarantee is what we heard, whether that's 15 to Canelo and five to an opponent, or that's 20 straight up. Um, I'm not really sure. It does sound like Canelo finally did get to see the agreement between Golden Boy and Zone that Golden Boy was not allowing uh, Canelo to see, which was some shady-ass shit. And it's funny because you, you don't hear many media members talking about this. I mean, it's funny because the lawsuit with Al Heyman and Golden Boy – if you you know who came out looking worse when it comes to discovery, and clearly Golden Boy did. The judge made that uh, you know clear as day um, when he threw it out in the statement he made with it was pretty funny. But yeah, there was literally something in the contracts of Golden Boy fighters now that said they had to okay the representation, meaning management. They had it had to clear them. So you sign with a promoter, and as a fighter, you have to now get your ma- 
manager okay through the promoter? I mean, that's... that's Whether you're moving in together for the first time... This can be your closet. Or you're a new parent to a little fur baby. Viva Paper Towels can help you maintain a clean home. They're two times more durable when wet compared to the leading value brand. So they clean like cloth, helping you pick up after your new pet in your new home. For an exceptional cloth-like clean, use Viva Towels. Visit vivatowels.com to learn more and start fresh with a clean feeling of home. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand the chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed ridiculous but obviously that was like a Al Heyman clause in there because they're trying to have their fighters not be with Al Heyman clearly obviously and that's some shady shit so what would a promoter I mean don't get me wrong I'm not naive what would a promoter and a, and a manager you know be so closely tied we know that exists I'm not saying that um, but like it's just crazy that that was actually in there, and you can barely see the media really exploiting it, you know. I know I understand some of the ring amazing folks not doing it as much. I still think that they should, you know, they should say something more <laughs> about it, but um, it's some shady shit not to show your client, your number one guy in Canelo, a hidden agreement that you had that has to do with him. And DeZone also got to see, it sounds like, Canelo's agreement with Golden Boy. So they could see that, hey, wait a second. We thought we had some, you know, like last, like basically we, we thought we approved opponents. And Golden Boy and Canelo had an agreement saying ultimately, within reason, you know, within that, the speculation, or not the speculation, but the detail, the stipulation is what I meant, within reason, so it's not like some kind of random opponent, you know. Speaking of random opponents, though, nice little segue. There's another extension, guys, for Canelo and Yildrum, the purse bid, uh, given a final 15-day extension. This came out today, Jake Donovan, on the news here. Um, another two weeks have been granted for Canelo. Um, understanding the current situation, the WBC franchise champion, Alvarez, the WBC in good faith, extends 15 days for a final time to purse offer ceremony with Alvarez, blah, blah, blah. Um, what's he say here? Along came Alvarez, he jumped in, yeah, 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 we know that part. Here we go, the WBC will inquire uh, the status, basically. It will make a final determination after October 21st, which is the deadline, the 15-day, the new deadline. So um, if nothing, you know, obviously the legal ramifications, um, is going to play into this with Canelo and how long he's going to be out. Uh, but like it says, they, they, they'll definitely, once that period's over, they'll make, in, you know, a determination, which will probably mean 
Benavides Jr. Um, he got the WBC, obviously stripped uh, David Benavides for missing weight, and then he um, and then they ranked him at 175. He has since put in a petition saying, "Hey, you know." I want to be put back in the 68 ranking, so I'm assuming it will be Benavides and uh, Yoltrum, which is the fight we were going to get anyway. Um, so, yeah, uh, that's just a little little side note in there, nothing too crazy. Um, we'll get into some of that Canelo stuff in just a little bit. Um, there is some other, you know, news and notes that I want to get to. The Lomachenko and Teofimo Lopez blood, sweat, and Tears hype show the shoulder programming played I think on Sunday after or Sunday kind of early evening they're going to play another one part one and part two back to back in the same slot I believe um, next Sunday or this coming Sunday um, and I thought it was well done it was like a half hour special thought it was good um, they definitely I mean, they, they, they gave equal time, it felt like, but to me it seemed like they were focusing a little bit even more on Teofimo, which I think is a smart thing to do. Um, but both of them showed their personalities. Both of them, you know, I thought, it was a, I thought it was well done. And more importantly, to have the shoulder programming so far out. I mean, sure, it's not a month or whatever, but, hey, you know, it is what it is. This fight even got done not even that long ago, right? So the fact that it's not just fight week where they're doing that, they're doing, you know, they started the, the, the commercial role even, you know, so that, that's going to put it almost two weeks before the fight. So that's something that we haven't seen at ESPN, really. Uh, the Lomachenko, Rigando, you could say they I don't, I don't know how far that was in advance. Not that far, it seems. They definitely pushed it, though, when they had, you know, that was right after the Heisman. Um, they pushed some of the other Heisman shows, you know, the post shows after that events, I should say. The, the biggest one they pushed was the Pacquiao Horn, obviously, the, the one that kicked off the deal. And it's pretty crazy. That was 2017 already. Was that 2017 or 18? It was 17. Yeah, crazy. Anyway, um, it's just nice to have shoulder programming. I've seen a commercial just just yesterday, and there's going to be more more shoulder programming. I hope to see even more commercials, and you know, to to really build this fight. Um, and like I said, it is going to have a lead in. We just don't know exactly what it's going to be just yet. Um, but um, you know, they they are facing some heavy competition that night uh, with Georgia and Auburn on CBS, but we'll see when they actually, when the when the fight actually starts, because that game could be done. I'm assuming it will be done by the main event, I hope anyway. So, anywho, um, it was just good good to see. They're, they're really going for it. Um, and that's something we see with Fox. You know, once their, their event's done, they're on to the next one, and especially if it's a big um, main event fight or a big, you know, pay-per-view, they start pushing it a month, sometimes two months out. So it's 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 nice to see, and kudos for ESPN1 to step up and put a couple hundred thousand dollars 
you know, to make this fight for Teofimo to get the fight across the line. And now they're like, hey, what, let, let's try to get a nice, healthy rating. You know, why not? Why not try to do that? Um, so that's always good. Speaking of a big fight, Wilder and Fury 3 is on the move. It was tentatively, tentatively scheduled for December 19th. However, now that college football is going to be all the way back, you know, uh, three out of the, the power five leagues have already started, the SEC being the biggest of them. But in a couple of weeks, uh, October 23rd and 24th, that Friday and Saturday, the Big Ten returns, which is the second biggest conference. You know, the SEC and the Big Ten basically run football as far as from a money span, uh, standpoint. Um, and then the Pac-12 returns not long after that. Long story short, this year um, – Usually what would be the first week in December is when the conference finals uh, would take place. And those are pretty important. So that would normally be the, this year it would have been the fifth, but it's December 19th. Now they had to kind of tweak their schedules, obviously, because you wanted to have an extra week or two. They cut some games off their normal schedule, right? Um, I think the SEC's 10, ACC's 10, uh, Big Ten is eight, really nine, no, because the, everyone's going to play that December 19th. So the point is the, the amount of conference finals that day, Friday and Saturday, in NFL games that day too. It's just there's a ton of them. So it's all mixed into one. And that's what I'm saying. Even on December 15th, you have the NFL. They normally do Saturdays in later September, but or sorry, later December. But the college football is just going to have to deal with it. And you can see when you have the you know college football, sure, it's, it's been going somewhat, right? It's starting to get going anyway. They finally had a big rating the other day. Um, had some decent ratings with some Miami games, but nothing that stood way out. Um, that Auburn-Georgia was a big – I think that got like 4 million-something viewers. But um, So you have those on Saturdays. The NFL is just back, so like I said, then you have the NBA playoffs and now the finals and the MLB baseball playoffs. And it's hurting both sides. You can see what it's doing to the NBA finals. Um, So when we look at these boxing ratings, when you look at even these pay-per-view numbers, I've only heard, you know, a a couple of sources that have the, the Charlo brothers at about 120, uh, anywhere from 100 to 150 um, thousand, you know, pay-per-views, which I thought it would be somewhere in that range. So that's no surprise. Some of these TV ratings that we see uh, for boxing this summer and even in August and September, a lot of people are like, oh, boxing's dead. It's like, dude, a lot of people are getting affected right now. You know, the, the demographic, the 18 to 48 to 18 to 34, the NBA still doing good in that, but they're ratings. MLB's down, you know, and these are playoff. This is just, this is what, you know, wasn't anticipated to happen. So I think some of that boxing's dead based off a couple of ratings. It's just goofy. And, and, and you know that the television networks see it. If, if, if we see it, why wouldn't the network see it? You know? Um, so yeah, um, it is what it is, but, um, I think it's smart to move that fight. But here's a little funky thing, right? Um, and the source is funky, too. 
the sun it, in the UK. You know, this is this is kind of weird too. But it says Christmas, right? So maybe they are thinking, screw it. <clears throat> and, and I did actually hear this uh, originally. I, I heard that this is going to be December 26th. I know Fox has a card December 26th, and maybe they'd be willing to put their prelims. On Fox, I remember how they did FS1, I think, in, in ESPN. Maybe they'd be willing to do that date. I'm not quite sure, but maybe it will get bumped to Christmas that Saturday. And remember, when I say Christmas Saturday, that's a day after Christmas. So you have Christmas Eve, you have Christmas Day. And then the 26th is actually, uh, it's actually Boxing Day. Like, I don't know if it's an international, how many, is that in the UK too? I know Canada says it has that in the boxing day. But anyway, the reason why I mention this, because it says Tyson Fury set for December pay-per-view in the UK after BT Sport cough up to put, cough up to put uh, on Daniel Du Bois and Joe, uh, Joe Joyce in November. Uh, November 28th, by the way, Joyce and uh, Dubois, they're going to fight. It sounds like that's a done deal. Um, it'll be on pay-per-view um, in the O2 Arena. Actually, I don't know if it's going to be the O2 Arena. No, what am I saying? Um, no they're going to do it behind closed doors. Could still be there behind closed doors, I suppose. But this says... That is likely to mean the WBC heavyweight king, Fury, will now fight in the U.K. behind closed doors for his pay-per-view homecoming. Promoter Frank Warren appeared uh, to aim a dig at rival Eddie Hearn, Sky Sports, who are set for a three-pay-per-view show involving uh, Chisora, Dillian White, and Joshua in a row like that. Uh, This is about keeping boxing alive and relevant. Um, at a tough time doing something for the fans. We have moved heaven and earth to put this on BT Sports subscription fight night instead. Okay, so that's pretty dope. That's a good mid-level heavyweight fight with a, two prospects, one more of a vet prospect because of his age. But that's going to be straight up. But now they're saying Tyson Fury might slide in pause to that and fight that night. So you know, I don't, I don't know if, and he said in the UK, so UK pay-per-view like in prime time, are they going to let Fury, Fury has, are they going to let Fury fight in December against somebody and then just to stay busy because they're not able to find this date where they have crowds? I'm not really sure. Um, and like I said, the source is funky to say the least. I would not go off of that source if not, um, some kind of, you know, I'm not saying it's not possible, but the, that source has been all over the place. Um, like I said, we'll get to some Canelo news. I see some folks coming in to try to listen to the last part of the show. There's nine minutes left of the live stream. You can dial 646-381-4990. That's 646-381-4990 to listen to the rest of the show. If you're listening to it in the browser right now, the shit's going to stop in about nine minutes. So you just call the number and you listen to it, yada, yada, yada. Most people listen to it on archive, but just letting people know. I see some folks popping in here to hear the last chunk of the show. We got some fight news. 
we are going to talk about Canelo refiling lawsuit just a little bit. And, of course, the boxing Twitter segment, which is always full of uh, fun items to uh, scratch your head at, basically. Good old boxing Twitter, right? Um, a lot of good information, a lot of great opinions, but just a lot of garbage, too, right? <laughs> um, in the media, sometimes some of the tweets that they have is just funny. But anyway... Um, speaking of Wilder, Deontay Wilder, you know, there's been a lot of in-between on Mark Breland. We first heard, oh, he's going to be out. Then we heard that decision's not made yet. And not, there hasn't, there really hadn't been an official word. It sounds like Shelly Finkel now, who actually represented um, Breland way back in the day, um, came out and said, nope, it's a wrap. Basically, it's not happening. So, Mark Breland um, is out of the corner of Deontay Wilder. Um, <clears throat> Wilder clearly had an issue with Breland for throwing in the towel. Um, you know, as a fighter, you kind of understand some of that from a fighter's point of view. We, we hear it all the time. Oh, you know, you don't. You know, you don't want to be, don't throw the towel in on me. And, you know, if I'm standing, don't do it. You know, don't throw the towel. And we've heard this time and time again. But the fact that Breland did it shows you that he was in the corner for the right reasons. Um, And, you know, there's some just stubborn trainers. Sometimes we see the father-son stuff that this runs into. Sometimes we see a father-son situation where they throw in the towel too early because they see their kids taking punishment. Sometimes they'll just hold off and take it too personal and say, well, that's my mentality as a father. I taught this to my son. So it's not a big surprise, but, um, and I'll say this, obviously Bruin, you know, had, did the right move there. <laughs> I mean, clearly he did the right move. Wilder, can take some shots, dude. Uh, we've seen him hurt. We've seen, I mean, he was hitting the side of the head, hitting the back of the head, hitting the ear, hit with some really good shots that were just straight up. And he was, he was hurt. His legs were gone. Um, so he's got a ton of heart. But honestly, the long, to, to take that beating for the next couple of rounds or the rest of the fight, whatever it would have been, that didn't need to happen. So Breland was 100% in the right. I'll say this, though, about, Really, as far as leaving the camp, the only thing I have to say about, like, the, there's a couple of things here. One, it, it's nice to know you have people in the corner that really... Between prepping ingredients, setting the table, and planning your tomorrow, sometimes you need an extra hand with dinner. Delta Faucet is here to help. Just ask your connected home device to fill your pasta pot with Delta Faucet Voice IQ technology and fill it with the perfect amount of water. Done. Visit deltafaucet.com slash voice IQ to see how Voice IQ can fill your dog's bowl, wash your hands, and more. Give a shit about you. So that's when you take one of those guys out of your camp, you never know what that's going to produce for the person you bring in. And we heard he brought in a guy who he fought a while ago, Scott, right? And also, it's kind of shaky because this guy, not too long ago, 
put out a cryptic, like a cryptic tweet. <laughs> it was like, wait a second, what? Are you talking about, you know, um, I'm not a snake in the grass. You know, I didn't spike your drink, but I know who did. Like some weird, weird cryptic thing. And maybe because he did that and put that out there, that, and I'm talking about, when I say Scott, I'm talking about Malik Scott. Um, it seemed like he was not wanting to fight anymore or whatever happened at the end of the Wilder Scott fight. Um, and he's been a sparring partner and he's been in the camp as far as an important piece of the camp to an extent because they've been friends. But it was kind of a weird tweet or a subtweet that he put out not long ago. But then now it's rumored that he's in the camp. But as far as Breland goes, before anything happened in the last fight, there were plenty of people that didn't necessarily think he was the, a, a great trainer. Um, some people would say, well, look at Wilder. He hasn't really developed. Some people will say, okay, he, he's got a good jab when he uses it, but he doesn't use the jab like a Breland, right? And, and a trainer can only do so much, obviously. And same for Jay, you know, his trainer. Like, how many guys has he brought to the world championship level and groomed? Um, So some people say, you know, you can find a better, and I'm talking about Breland and Jay Diaz, um, not just trying to separate Breland there. Plenty of people said, you know, you're not really getting a change product anyway, so that corner combination hasn't really paid off as far as developing him massively. Now, some people don't remember what the gangly, long, lanky, very, um, at times uncoordinated, like they had to fill his body too. Like he was skinny, gangly. Like a lot of people don't remember what he looked like as a pro early. I remember that 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 night where they had a bunch of amateurs on that were fresh out of the Olympics and uh, who had turned pro. And I remember looking at Wilder like, "Wow, dude, they're, they're, they're really going to need to do some work with him." So I'm trying. I'm not trying to say these two trainers haven't done something with it because they have. I don't think that'd be fair. I think they kind of got maybe too much uh, criticism. Um, before this, and I'm not talking about having anything to do with throwing the towel in, as far as just trainers and developing Wilder, and then who else have they developed at a high level? And so I saw plenty of boxing experts, media members, other folks in the industry say, you know, his corner hasn't really done a whole lot. Now, I think from, from you know, almost scratch to where he is, they've done a pretty good job. I think that, like I said, if you see his early fights compared to his fights now, he's better and better. But I can see the point that they were trying to make overall that, you know, Jay doesn't have a pedigree. I mean, you know, he, he, not to say he hasn't been in a sport in a long, you know, for a while. He has. And, and same with Breland, obviously, he really has. Um, but it's not like Breland has – two or three or four other guys, or Jay for that matter, or that combination has 
a few other champions and some former champs go to him and he's working their way and they got it. You know what I mean? So I think you can say, hey, make a change. But the Breland thing, if your change is just being disappointed at Breland for throwing the towel, I think that's wrong. You know, I think that is wrong. I think that doesn't really line up. So that sounds like that's official. And the news came from Ronnie Shields in the in a boxing voice shouts out to Ness and company um, during an interview. And then they, it basically got followed up and Shelly Finkel came out with a quote saying, yeah, that's it. So, um, you know, do I think he needed to change trainers in general? Yeah. I think that a, a brand new camp, brand new set of eyes, I don't think that would hurt him at all. I think that would work. It sounds like he's working out in Miami right now. I know he was going to get some uh, some pointers, whether it's working out, whether it's chopping trees, right, like the, the George Foreman workout. I know he was going to go to Houston and work out with them. I don't know when he did that or if he's still planning on doing that or he already did that. I don't know, but I know he did get some advice from Foreman, and I remember hearing Wilder saying he was going to take that advice. So, but the Malik Scott thing is strange. I mean, sure, he probably feels like it is, um, you know, uh, someone in his ear he can trust, but like I said, it was just kind of a shady, and maybe this quote-unquote you know, I know who poisons your drink. Maybe that's, like I said, what brought him even closer. And Malik Scott told him this theory. <laughs> I, I, you know, whatever. Um, and then he trusts him even more. Like, thank you. I, I don't really know. It's real shaky. But either way, we'll see what happens in that rematch. If Wilder can look like he looked in the first two rounds where he's actually landing punches, and uh, shook Fury up, actually. Fury admitted it when he went over to him after the fight. He said, wow, you really got me. I was hurt. <laughs> but after those first two rounds, it was a wrap, dude. It was a one-sided fight. So we will get to a little bit more fight news in our boxing Twitter segment to close the show. Real quick, though, and this is about a week ago. Um, it says right here, 1041 Eastern Time. So it would have been, you know, not long after I, I stopped the show last week and thinking that the Canelo stuff is still in between. He could refile the lawsuit. We don't know if he's going to. There were some deadlines uh, that passed, so we didn't quite know, but as we do know now <laughs> that he refiles the breach of contract suit against his own golden boy in Oscar de La Hoya. Um, so, you know, we'll see. We'll see how that goes because, you know, his first suit was dismissed by the U.S. District Court in Central District uh, of California. Um, the case will now be uh, presided by the Honorable Michael P. Linfeld, who was the first appointed to Superior Court in 2003. By the way, this is Jake Donovan again. Um, so, basically, you know, the this is some quotes from it, the behavior and breaches of Golden Boy promotion. Um, and it says, cannot simply be casted on the zone's failure to pay uh, its licensing fees. Um, 
in the Alvarez contract, Golden Boy Promotions in De La Hoya personally committed to making the guaranteed payments after the zone announced it would uh, breach the, the obligations to pay the licensing fee. Alvarez accommodated, accommodated excuse me, Golden Boy with several weeks to find an alternative means of broadcasting his bouts and paying his guarantee. And that's something that we talked about a couple of weeks ago as well. That, okay, so they're not going to pay. I'm trying to see the agreement you have, and I'm speaking in Canelo, uh, Canelo's side. Oscar De La Hoya, Golden Boy Promotions, right? That's his promotions. And zone, they made an agreement without letting me know. And when I tried to find out what that agreement was, he was stymied. He was not allowed to see it. Like I said at the top of the show, that's some shady-ass shit. And this is boxing, and that's some shady-ass shit. So I guess there were, you know, he, he filed that lawsuit. He, he put basically like so many different LLCs. He was, there's so many. It's hard to, you know, an LLC and a corporate company. and it, There's a lot of, uh, you know, yellow tape there. But it was really like a wake-up call. And supposedly they had some sort of mediation where they – we're trying to work out a deal for a new guarantee that the zone was a lot more comfortable with. And um, Golden Boy did finally allow him to see the agreement. And it sounds like, like I mentioned, the zone was allowed to see the contract. So they know the, the, the agreement that Canelo and Oscar made. And obviously Oscar, allegedly, it sounds like Oscar is in the middle of this. And, Ultimately, Oscar and Golden Boy Promotions, that layer, is the one that's the shistiest out of all these folks because they misled both sides. And he did give Golden Boy, like I mentioned, some time to go, okay, we'll then go get it from another broadcaster. And that's why, and we talked about this a few weeks ago with John on, who's a lawyer, we talked about okay, well, that makes sense that they'd be trying to do this Yildrum purse bid because someone's got money showtime and Al Heyman has this money that they're willing to give him so he can – it's basically proof that, listen, DeZone and Golden Boy are holding my career up. I have $20 million sitting right here that they're willing to pay me to fight this fight. So it basically said, hey, my promoter didn't go out to a separate – um, network and try to get me the, the money they owe me and the fight they owe me, I went out and got it myself. So it's kind of like proof that they're holding me back. And in the U.S., you know, the right to earn money is, is something that kind of stands out um, and can sometimes hold up in court to the fact that there may be a lot of litigation, right, between these two and this whole discovery, this whole case may go stretch out for a year or two. It could get settled as well. But in the meantime, can I keep fighting? That's going to be key. Um, but here it says, moreover, Golden Boy Promotions failed to present a single plan thereafter. Moreover, Golden Boy Promotions have breached the Alvarez contract by violating the confidential provision and leaking the contract detail to the media for purposes of bringing additional attention and prestige to Golden Boy. And this is something 
that when lawsuits get filed, you start to find out more information. And this shit blows my mind. So they weren't supposed to, there was not supposed to be any information. This is the secret confidential thing where you are not supposed to put out how much money this contract was worth officially. There would be sources, there would be, you know, reports and all that. No doubt about it. They 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 would probably get close to the number, right? That that's clear. He fights in Vegas a lot, so now you know the Nevada State Commission doesn't allow you to see uh, the fighter purse any longer, which is kind of shaky right there, anyway. But um, it, it's it's kind of crazy. So they someone leaked the guy allegedly leaked this shit. Right, and and of course that brought prestige to Golden Boy Promotions and Oscar because it's like look what they did as a company and as a brand and as Oscar De La Hoya. Look at the contract they secured for Canelo. Look at the price tag, you know. So obviously he still has the the claiming of damage. The claiming no less than two hundred eighty million dollars is basically the remaining uh, balance of the contract, um, and obviously. Punitive damages, uh, attorney fees, cost of lawsuit, yada, yada, yada. So um, it's right there. He has eight fights left. Um, we'll see, you know, as far as what actually comes of this. I feel like it's going to be a settlement. Um, I'm not saying they're going to pay 280 but I kind of feel like it's a settlement. I do feel like ultimately he'll get a little money, but also because if, if this shit, and I say alleged, but if this shit's true about Golden Boy and Oscar in the middle, lying to both sides, they're on the hook in some form or fashion. And I'm not saying he'll get 280. I actually don't think that'll be the case. Um, but in the same breath, um, I do think he'll be released out of his contract um, at some point. I'm not saying he's going to be free to fight in the next couple of months. I'm not saying that a judge would, would clearly rule on that because they could probably appeal that too and they could counter. I, you know, I don't know all the details. We will talk to John and Jake Donovan soon about that stuff too. But I'll tell you what, man. Um, there was some talk in the media that they were getting close to being able to figure this out and it just, there's a lot of shady shit. And I, I don't know if you'd want to really be involved with these folks anymore. Um, the courts of the state of California have personally jurisdiction over each defendant because each, each has residence in or conducted business in California related to the events and circumstances. It says, one, Golden Boy, Golden Boy Promotions is based in uh, Los Angeles County. Two, Oscar De La Hoya resides in Los Angeles. His own has employees within Los Angeles County, um, conducts business there, too, and broadcasts to customers within Los Angeles County. So, um, so yeah, that that's basically it. We're, we're not going to really know exactly, you know, the whole thing. The contract um, in Alvarez's possession does not, to, does not specifically – does not specifically disown okay disowns final authority on the 
rejecting any agreed-upon opponent. Uh, and it says, and unbeknownst to the boxer, there was that you know contract between Golden Boy, a Golden Boy promotion had a, and that's the thing. It says Golden Boy promotion had already surrendered approval rights for his opponents to disown. Alvarez later came to be aware of disown. Uh, had not informed, not had been informed by Golden Boy Promotion that his contract contained the requirement for additional compensation for Mr. Golovkin. That was another thing too, because we heard about that. Hey, um, this is what it says. Additionally, the lawsuit raises the point of Dizone was unaware. The Alvarez contract carved out specific potential opponents, including, you know, Gennady Golovkin, as required as a guaranteed payment of no less than thirty-five to be separately negotiated between Alvarez and Golden Boy. So that's where we, we, we heard he was getting more money for that fight. And, and, I, and I, we did hear that the guarantee would be the minimum guarantee that they were trying to work out a new deal, right? But there'd be potential to um, make more money uh, for certain opponents. And they widened the, uh, the, the approval, you know, the, the, the premier opponent list which needed to be widened if you look at what they were talking about. So um, we're going to find out something's got to give on this, though. Want a job where you can use your talents, make a difference, and have the freedom of remote work? Then meet Belay. Belay has contractor opportunities for proven professionals, providing administrative support and social media strategy to fast-paced organizations throughout the United States. All from your home. To learn more, just visit belaysolutions.com slash jobs to apply. That's B-E-L-A-Y solutions.com slash jobs. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand the chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed really do feel like that. I'm not going to, you know, act like I know exactly what's going on 100%. That's for sure. By the way, Robert Talarek, um, this one was from Poland. Uh, I guess this is the fight that I, I hadn't seen yet. Uh, it got taken down at one of the spots in I, that I normally can find it, but also there was one up that was just shaky. So um, help me out with that, by the way. Um, it sounds like it was a pretty damn good fight. So um, what else we got here? I think that about wraps up that type of uh, news. We will kind of just uh, go through some of this other fight news. News on Canelo. like we do to close out the show per normal. So this is something that was announced uh, yesterday, I believe. Joseph Parker uh, will face Junior Fa in New Zealand on December 11th. That's something that we've uh, you know, seen been working on here. Um, Albuquerque WBO Super Bantamweight champ 
Angela Leo, Leo, mandatory bout versus Stephen Fulton could be moved to the December 12th card, headlined by Ubali and Donair, or be held early 2021. Um, whether it's early 2021 in a main event or the co-feature, dude, that would be a hell of a doubleheader to have Ubali and Donair and have Leo and or Leo and Fulton. That would be bomb, dude. That would be a great card. Either way, I'm happy. Um, We're still waiting for an official announcement on that November 14th on ESPN, uh, Crawford, um, Kel Brook. But there is, this is from a Coppinger from The Athletic. Uh, Crawford will earn an upward earn upward of $4 million, and it looks like uh, Kel Brook will earn around $2 million uh, for that fight. But there's still not a 100% done deal. goes um, so that leaked to the media though that really threw me off the, the, the golden boy leak that, that was part of the contract that he wasn't they weren't even supposed to talk about that I just saw a tweet actually about that uh, Esparza and Urbana um, Ur, Urbina um, it's a really it's a nice fight women's fight WBC I think a title eliminator that's going to be October 30th, so it's coming up quick at Fantasy Springs Casino. That's a really, really legit fight there. I really like that. Um, Eddie Hearn, this is from IFL TV News. Eddie Hearn has named four possible opponents for Billy Joe Saunders on November 28th. Martin Murray, Rocky Fielding, John Ryder, and um, Fedor Chudnoff. His quotes, Eddie Hearn, was, people are always going to moan, so I'd rather a Brit got the opportunity. But wasn't Eddie Hearn the one that said if Canelo doesn't choose Callum Smith or Billy Joe Saunders, that those two are just going to fight? Now, to get my guess, is they're both going to take a, an in-between fight and then fight and try to get it in front of a crowd. But that's what he said. Uh, but he's a promoter, so promoters talk a lot. Um, but John Ryder, I mean, I think Callum Smith and John Ryder should fight again if they're not going to fight Billy Joe Saunders. But that's what he kept telling us. Um, and I was a little surprised at that only because, you know, um, it was kind of like, well, they've been out of the ring for a while. I was just anticipating, um, you know, maybe on the same bill, maybe not, but both of them get a fight in, get a camp, get a fight in then, you know, it increases the chance that you can actually, you know, have some crowd in there, and then you get sharper fighters, but no big deal here. This was from BoxingScene.com. The launch of the Zone UK is reportedly set to happen in the next couple of months. It's claimed that Daniel Jacobs and Gabriel Rosado, which agreed, by the way, to November 26th, Jacobs and Rosado uh, 27. It will be broadcast by DAZN in the UK. DAZN initially wanted John Ryder as the UK opponent, which makes sense. Um, so that's their launch. They don't have Canelo, but that's their launch. It's too bad they can't. Well, I suppose they couldn't launch with that. Yeah, they can't launch with uh, Callum Smith. 
Yeah, that Billy Joe Saunders because they're matchroom fighters, and matchroom has a deal with Sky, so I'm sure that was that was the reason why. But Daniel Jacobs, that's a little bit of news. Daniel Jacobs and Rosado, November 27th. Um, someone actually just texted me. We're moving. Oh, this is Bob Aaron. We're moving off of December 19th because there's five conference championships games that day and nights plus two NFL, two NFL games. So, yeah, I actually talked about that early on the show. Um, so that that makes a lot of sense. I mean, there's no point, you know, in doing that. Um, but, yeah, Jacobson Rosario – or Rosado, um, Gabe, Gabe, doesn't really – I don't know. Like, I know they have Twitter beef, and stylistically it'll be a fun fight to watch. But I just feel like Jacobs already had the Chavez fight. So he lost to Canelo. Okay, no big deal. And then he got the Chavez fight. So now it's like, all right, let me fight a top guy now. So that kind of sucks, um, but it is what it is. You know, no big deal. When was that fight? Was that to close out the year last year? When did he fight last? Because that, that, that wasn't in February, was it? Why, was it? Why did I think it was? Okay, the reason why I thought it was last year is because it was December 20th, so that's pretty close. Chavez, but, but we won't get into that. Um, Gabe fought on the same night. So they both fought at the same time, yada, yada, yada. So, you know, like I said, stylistically, it could be fun. I think it will be, but it's kind of like a – I don't know. It's going from Chavez Jr. to Gabe a, a lateral step. <laughs> it's tough to say. Both uh, Chavez and you know Gabe are so far out of their prime. Um, like I said, stylistically, sure, it'll be fun. But um, I just I don't know. I, I believe that this is Daniel Jacobs' last fight of his zone in match from USA um, contract. So maybe he's doing it like, hey, you got to give me a fight. So sometime this year, so I'm fighting somebody. Um, but you never know. There could be an option, you know, three fights and an option on top of that. So um, we'll see. We'll see. Oh, just real quick, the Pacquiao stuff and the McGregor stuff. This is Pacquiao. He basically said, at the present time, I do not have an ex- I do not have an existing management contract. With the that company that he signed with, that was represented by uh, McGregor, Conor McGregor, I have formed my own company, Pack Sports Entertainment. You can tell he's in payment now, and I and maybe maybe he's not making that contract up now, but and I am more than willing to give the fans what they want. Um, but it's called, you know, I'm going to promote some of it too. And this is Iola talking about Pacquiao, um, uh, an exciting fight with under terms of the conditions where I co-promote, uh, yada, 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 it's the same thing, okay, so, um, so that's something there, uh, this is Dan Raphael, per source, uh, Devin Haney and Gamboa, uh, signed, this is last week, Wednesday night, done deal, November 7th, both of those fights that I just mentioned, the, the Gabe and Danny and then this one are going to be, um, likely at the Seminole Hard Rock in Hollywood. So Haney and Gamboa is a 
official. Um, and, you know, you look back and you say, Gary Russell Jr. had $1.5 million. He said he'd take it. Some days went by. I don't know, like, the first contract was a little bit different than the way they set it online. You know, well, first of all, it was an agreement, and it was a contract because you sign it, but it wasn't really a contract that signs the fight. That means the fight's on because both Bill Haney, dad, Devin's dad, and Russell both said that their first, I think it was $2 million, the first offer did actually get denied by the zone. So I did give Gary some leeway in there that if they just signed, now they send you over something that's like more of a promotional thing that, hey, just sign here and say you'll fight me at 1.5. We'll take it to the zone and we'll get it figured out. So there was no date. There was no for sure thing. And the other one had been denied. This is what both sides say. So I was willing to wait on that because it's like, all right, well, you know, it does. I understand, like, there's no rematch clause in the in that, you know, thing he wanted to, to send uh, for, for either guy. But, well, a rematch clause was in there, but it was, you know, Gary did say, hey, I want the, if I win, I want to be able to control the rematch, which is fair, too. So it did feel like, at the start, it didn't feel like a one-off at all. They were trying to add some fights, which I don't blame Eddie for doing that, right? That's what you try to do. But then he did say, I'm good. Now, they denied the $2 million, but they were on board for the $1.5. And once we got word that Eddie said, yep, I'm on board, so we knew it was going to happen, then it's like, okay, what now? Okay, cool. I was willing to give you some leeway. I was willing to give both leeway. To let it, you know, that's what negotiations are, right? But then all of a sudden, Gary took a little time off, and then he got in and said, you know, I worked this contract. I got this contract now, and put some hard work into it. He started reading it on on the camera on the Instagram, and he's like, what's it say here? It says, and it was kind of funny, you know. So he said, I'm going to send this over, and supposedly. Bill Haney hadn't got it. Now, I don't know if that's facts or not or if it's too late anyway, but that's what Bill Haney said. That they didn't get anything back after that day. Now, whether that's true or not, I don't know. Um, then, you know, Gary took a little bit of time off, came back in his car and was like, I don't know what's going on. I still want to try to make this fight, but maybe we can make it next or whatever. I don't know, but it's just not a good look. If you said you're going to do it for 1.5, I get all the details, you know, like you wanted to be figured out. Obviously, I think it's worth mentioning that one of the sticking points was probably the November 7th date. Because that seemed like that was the date that he had. And I'm saying he, Devin Haney, himself, that was that his date. And I don't know how much, you know, wiggle room he had with that. So they were trying to get Gary in the ring. They know Gary stays in shape. I'm not trying to say they were trying to catch Gary off guard. That's not what I'm saying. But I can understand, you know, I can because Gary did say, hey, dude, I mean, I'm not, the November 7th date's off. I need eight weeks. I need a full camp. So you can't, you know, you can't fault them there. 
But, you know, when you go on Instagram live and you say all this shit and you talk that talk and then you get a contract sent to you and there's only rematches, there's no more options in it, you know, and like I said, I understand Eddie and that side trying to do that, but I also understand Russell's side's like, dude, I don't want to, this is a one-off deal here. So I get the details, but then days went by. Then days went by, and I really wish Gary Russell Jr. said, listen, it's November 7th, that's the date they're working with, and I can't make that date. We're not even signed the contract yet, it's a month away or something like that. I really wish he'd come out and I, I think ultimately that's probably what he's going to say, but he should he should just make it clear like I really want this fight next. It just didn't work out. I'm gonna get a fight. He said he had a backup plan. Where the rumored backup plan was Javier Fortuna at 135, so it was cool that he went up and waited. And maybe ultimately losing to Javier Fortuna would not be good for him at that weight, I and mean, he could always go back down, of course, but. If you're trying to stab yourself at a weight and you lose the Fortuna, there's other fighters above him. That's what I'm saying. Now, if you get to 135, you feel comfortable, then you fight him sometime first quarter or early second quarter next year. Now we're talking. So I'm, a, I'm assuming that's kind of the, the lines he'll use, or he should. I think he already should have said, hey, this is the, November 7th, that can happen. And it's not like the zone. He's just giving out dates left and right. You can tell they've been, you know, these are the fights. I'm not. I'm talking about Matchroom USA to Zone too, not just to Zone. Zone is still giving us you know, Sky Sports stuff. You know, they, they once they got going, they've been giving us you know Sky Sports stuff, no doubt. But you know, when you look at this, I'm assuming November seventh was his date. Now, could he have gotten it pushed to December? I don't know. There's a lot of fights going on in uh, late November, early December for uh, Matchroom. Now, whether that, and, you know, Matchroom Sky Sports, whether that means we get them all here on the zone, I assume so, but, but we'll find out. So, you know, Gary Russell Jr., you had to kind of know that November 7th date was out there. It just kind of, I'm not trying to blame you like, dog, you dropped the ball, you ducked them. I'm not saying that because there is some in here that you have to the devil is in the detail right you have to be fair about this stuff you have to look at it but on the surface and on boxing twitter the shit looks like a duck it, it does it looks like because he was talking all that shit and then it just didn't happen you know um and you should have really stuck to november 7th i know he mentioned it that I'm going to need eight weeks, and that is legit. You can't sit there and, you know, rip them for that. Want eight, uh, an eight-week camp for a championship fight. Come on, dude, of course. But um, we'll see. We will see. If he wants to go up and wait, though, a tester fight's not the worst thing. You just better win that motherfucker, right? But I'll tell you what, it does look bad. It does look bad now on Twitter. Ducked him. And so, you know, I've been hard on him to an extent because he called out a bunch of fighters that whether it was realistically going to happen.
happen or not, or calling out fighters when they had tough fights, like, oh, he's ducking me. Well, if, if Leo's ducking you, then why is he fighting Gervonta? It's tough to fight. At a higher weight class, might be tougher. Now, I know stylistically it's two different fights, but and there's times where he's, I think he walked it back a little bit, but there was even times where Aloma and Teofimo are ducking me. Dude, they're fighting each other, dog. They're not, they're not ducking you. First of all, Loma already beat you, dude. I don't care what you say. He got, he got beat clean. Not to say you couldn't show up in the rematch or whatever. I don't know. Maybe you could, but you didn't that day when you had him in the ring. Um, and I know he said he dehydrated, whatever. My thing is, in this spring, and in, 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 I guess early summer, when it was more topical, because we didn't have any fights to talk about, I did have a rant section on a lot of these youngsters, Shakur Stevenson, Ryan Garcia, some of these guys were on Devin Haney, by the way. Some of these guys that were ripping other belts when they got emailed their belt. You know, I was calling them out, not calling them out, just saying, hey, calm the fuck down, dude. You know what I mean? Like, because some of these guys will say, like Shakur Stevenson will say, oh, Frampton this, this, or not Frampton, but Warrington, so I can get a fight in. But now he wants a fight to, you know, it's like, well, so he, you can get a statement he fight in before you fight him, but he can't, you know? And so I wish he'd just say that there's not enough money in the fight rather than saying something that's not 100% true. And like I said, Gary Russell Jr. just looks like you ducked him, dude. You had 1.5 in your hand. You signed the fucking contract. You get the shit figured out. Not even to say it was 100% realistic for November 7th. But I'm saying, looks like on the surface, it doesn't look good for you because you were talking a gang of shit and then you didn't sign the contract. Now, it could be legit. Maybe that is the next fight. It could be. I don't think people are at 135 going to just give Haney all these opportunities. I I really don't. Um, You know, for now, anyway. So we'll see. Um, Eddie Hearn also announced um, a all-women's card. Triple header. Katie Taylor against Gutierrez, not totally familiar with her. Harper and Sanduras, I think it is. Yeah, Sanduras. And Bridges in Ball. Um, that'll be November 14th live. Oh, this is, it says Zone USA. Sky Sports and Zone. Okay, okay. I read it wrong. So, big shots out to the ladies there. That's a nice little uh, triple header. Gotta love that. Um,. All right, what else we got here for boxing Twitter and Julian's boxing Twitter? Um, oh, anyway, set to make a million dollars to fight a bum. By the way, Maloney's not a bum. Um, Lopez 1.5 uh, for Loma. Brooke 1.5. We now know that's round two for Bud. I'm not surprised. No one wants to fight top-ranked fighters. They overpay their fighters to fight bums. Yet. Um, severely underpay the other side when they gonna fight a contender or a big name. Even better, Biev only got 1.5 mil for the biggest fight of his life. But um, you know, it, it's all in a reference. Um, Inoue also has an MGM deal, so that that has to uh, play into it somewhat. I'd have to say they they have. He owes two fights a year to the MGM grant. Um, you know when it's normally going, <laughs> you know, obviously it's not necessarily something that he can do just yet. 
But uh, I'm not going to get at Mannix uh, this week uh, because, I mean, don't get me wrong. On this podcast, he said some things that were like, wow, really, dude, okay. But you can't do it every week. Just like Glazer, you, you got to let these guys breathe a little bit. So I'm not going to get at Someone just said that. I'm not going to get at him. We talked about the pay-per-view. Mike Coppinger, Showtime pay-per-view doubleheader, is expected to generate more than 100000 with a chance of 120. So I've heard 100 to 150 somewhere in that range. I have no clue uh, what is actually true. Um, there was uh, what seemingly looks like a high report uh, of a higher number that I won't get into. Um, but it'll be interesting to see um, what Stephen Espinoza says. Not that he's going to give us a deal, or, or you know, not that, he's not going to give us a deal. Um, but not that he'll. Uh, excuse me. Um, what am I saying? Oh, not that he'll tell us the number, but you can kind of tell if they were happy enough with it or their expectations a little bit. We'll see. Uh, this one is a boxing Twitter. PVC is pussy. Moving their pay-per-view date from October 24th to October 31st because they're afraid to compete with the UFC as wild pussy. <laughs> you know, you have a better chance to have more attention, right? And even on ESPN, because ESPN is going to be all Habib, you know, that weekend. And also you have a chance to make some money at the gate, which helps the event overall. So that's that's a funny one. They're pussy for moving it. <laughs> but yet that person probably, you know, will watch both fights. told you people should want Crawford to fight Tex at 54 rather than Brooke at 47. You would have called me a fucking idiot, but somehow in today's world, that's a better choice. The shit is hilarious. And this comes from Vince Cummings, who I don't always agree with. Like, when I don't, I don't say that just randomly. Like, oh, I don't 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 have to agree with everybody. That has nothing to do with it. But there's some shit that he's either trolling or he's just like power bias, either way. But this thing right here, this is right on the fucking money. I hear people saying, oh, you should go to Teixeira. Dude, Teixeira hasn't really beaten anybody. Hey, come on. This is a great quote. This is a great tweet. If it was two years ago, and, and I told you, tax at 54 would be better than Brook at 47. You call me a fucking idiot. And somehow, some way. Um, and I'm giving you my thoughts on that, you know, I, I I have. I give you my thoughts on that, and I and I'm 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 fine with it. I am fine with it. Um, but you know, clearly, the 147 is the only thing that really uh, you know holds me back from that. Um, other people talking about this this uh, this you know Crawford needs to get in the rankings and all that. Just they, they just tweet something, and here's here's a couple of people that said I said a long time ago that Terrence Crawford should fight Spence's IBF Mando and force them to make it mandatory. I gotta find that damn tweet, right? 
couple other people said that. I think I'm looking at it. He blocked me for, you know, facts. But Montero, um, you know, any, from what I've learned with Montero, is any time you challenge him with facts that make him look bad or make him need to answer for something, boom, he'll just block the shit out of you. That has nothing to do with how good his podcast is or how good of a writer he is. I don't think he should be a Hall of Fame voter, but hey, more power to him. Um, but he, he, I can't see his uh, tweet. I'll just say that right now. I can't see it, but I see his name in this tweet. But it says, Spence would dump the IBF. And here's the thing. When you say, oh, he should be the mandatory. Okay, cool. But do you know what that means? There's no such thing as 50-50 then. You say, oh, it forces a deal. And I'm not saying Montero tweeted it because that wasn't the tweet uh, that I read from somebody else that I just read. But you got to remember the split is like 65-35, 70-30, you know. So so you're saying, I mean, like like uh, this dude's saying, Lazy Lefty, he's saying the fight would be dead in the water right off the split. Because remember, Crawford has said numerous times, they need me, talking about PDC and Spence, they need me more than I need them. I'm the A side. And he said I'll do it for 50-50, but it shouldn't be. He said I'm the A side. They need me. It's like, dog, what are you talking about? Um, and they do need him, but it's not the other way around. You know what I mean? Um, this was on the BT Sports Boxing Show. Uh, UFC president Dana White, uh, he said, he's talking about getting into boxing again. Funny enough, since the pandemic, I've been looking at other options. We'll probably have something to announce here soon. Yeah, it is in the world of boxing in the next couple of weeks. And, and maybe he was talking about something else. I don't know, but maybe he was talking about Pacquiao, um, McGregor fight. You know, maybe that's what he was talking about. But um, but yeah, the, just to kind of go with that first bit thing, it's like, dog, it, it's not going to happen. You know what I mean? Like, that makes it worse because the split, it doesn't bring any of them together. It's a split, actually. That's even worse. And we all know, I mean, they, they, they had that run-up on each other in, was it in Nebraska or Texas? I think it was in Texas. Yeah, Texas. And uh, that was fun and all that. But then they had that Twitter beef. And remember, they got on the phone, talked it out, and then that, that they said, uh, we, you know, Crawford said, we agree that when the money's on the table, we're going to get this fight. The fight will happen. But before that, you know, during the tweet, the Twitter beef, <laughs> um, Errol Spence made it clear and I'm going to talk about Bob Arum here, too, because he made it clear that him and Heyman had had a discussion. Um, he said to him, he tweeted to Crawford, saying, Spence said, hey, we have talked about that fight and what it takes to make that fight. So when I hear language like that, that means they're not ready to do a 50-50. And quite, you know, frankly, if push comes to shove and you take your fan hat off and you look at it, it isn't a 50-50 fight. Now, in the ring it is, but on the surface, Spence is clearly a bigger name. Look at the two pay-per-views that they've done comparatively. 
and just in general. He's a bigger name. He just is. At the gate, uh, exposure, yada, yada, yada. He just is. So that tells me two things. Either they're willing to go 60-40 on it for Spence, or they're willing to give Crawford a sizable check and maybe some of the back end, but it won't be 50. And that's what he said. Terrence really didn't respond to that. They got on the phone, and next thing you know, the fight will happen. We just don't know when. Now, the Bob Arum side has been open about saying we've talked about it. We've kind of beat around the bush. We've uh, set a foundation for where the numbers are, what the numbers are going to be, and he felt confident that the fight would happen sooner than later. Now, obviously, the pandemic didn't help things, but I don't think, well, we can't really say it didn't hurt things, you know, because we don't really know how boxing is going to bounce back all the way. I think that Javante uh, Davis and Leo Santa Cruz fight will give us a little bit more, um, you know, knowledge as far as, okay, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe these crowds will come back even more than we think. It's really tough to say. Um, so, yeah. Uh, the IBF thing doesn't make sense um, because it's a lesser. He's not going to take a 65-35 deal. He's just not. Um, but it, it, it may come down to Crawford, and it sounds like he re-upped again, right? So when's that deal out? I think a long time. Uh, if you listen to Bob Arum in, in multiple uh, interviews, especially the Boxing Voice, I remember they cleared that up too. So. Now, is there a buyout in his contract? That I don't know. Um, but, you know, it's Top Rank's job and Crawford's job to get him to where it is 50-50, I guess, right? Or to say, I'll go to that platform. And you give me a large chunk of money, you give me a cut on the back if it's there. Or you just sign for 60-40. I don't know, but when he says we've already talked about what it takes to make that fight, you know, Wilder and Fury were a lot closer to 50-50. You can look at, you know, Wilder or Fury Gates fighting guys that nobody knew and say it's not 50-50. But as far as being able to talk, and, 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 you know, even in the summer they did have them on a variety of, you know, shows. Um, that's just closer. They basically made a successful pay-per-view in their first fight, and both of them had something to do with it in the ring and outside the ring. And it just built and it built. And so that's a little different. But this, to me, a lot of people just say, oh, you know, if, if you did it for this fight, you could do it for that fight. But that was a lot different. They had already had a fight. They had already renegotiated the second fight for a Showtime fight. And we know Tyson Fury had that contract for like a week or whatever they said. And, you know, he decided to take a deal. And I'm not saying he ducked anybody, but that's true. He said it himself. So they had already gone down the path of 50-50 with them twice in a row. So that's already contracts that they're willing to sign and fight. You see, that's a difference than never having a fight yet. That's kind of a big difference, actually. It's not, you know, of course, the media hasn't done a good job of clarifying that. And so people just say, hey, if that can happen, that can happen. Yeah, True. But is it actually that? And when you got one guy in Crawford saying, hey, I'm the A-side, those guys need me more than, you know, 
I'm in the Hall of Fame already off of winning divisional, you know, off of Gamboa, uh, Jeff Horn, and uh, Postone. That's his point. So it is what it is. Um, we're going to end this thing with one more boxing Twitter segment here. This is from Gary Williams, very or Gary William, very active on boxing Twitter. Being with a small promoter allows you to develop under the radar with less pressure, but then you reach a point where you need more exposure. You need to sign with a big promoter who's got more pull in the game. Uh, and he says, I think that that time has come for uh, Jeremy Ennis or Ennis in Ruben Dia. That, that was the last boxing Twitter. Uh, he makes a good point most of the time that is and is, uh, is having some issues right now. Otherwise, he probably would be getting even more opportunity. Showtime is talking, you know, numerous times that it is a little tough to get him fights now because he is such a high risk for not a large, um, you know, not a large, uh, large uh, payout. Um. We'll shut it down there. I think we'll shut it down there. Okay. Um, enjoy the fights this weekend. We'll be back next week. You never know. We may pop in Monday. You never know. I say that because it's Lomachenko and Lopez. Vasily Lomachenko against Teofima Lopez on ESPN, October 17th. If you can't tell, I'm fucking excited. <laughs> anyway, let's get out of here. Enjoy the fights this weekend. I got that underdog, minor underdog, at what I said, plus 180, plus 160 for Ruben Villa. Uh, enjoy the fights. Be back next week. Peace. Once you become the world champion, I believe that you feel you have your upper hand. So now, when, as you fight, let's say you fight for five years of straight survival, the bullshit, the whole bag, and when you become the world champion, you're like, you know what, that made it. That will show you. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand the chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand the chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed.